0: Amen. Let's pray. No, thank you. Amen. Amen. We clap for you, Lord. Um, you alone are worthy of our praise, and we thank you that our hope is not just in a thing or just in any event, but that our hope is a person, and our hope is you, and our hope has already went through death and has already come out the other side and lives forever. And that's you, Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd just help us to trust you this morning. Pray that we would live lives that are filled with hope and encouragement um, in the midst of difficulty. Jesus, fix our eyes upon you. Pray that this morning we'd be able to surrender control and that we'd be able to trust And Lord, you as Lord of our hearts and the one that holds our very breath in your hand, you know all the different ways that either control is happening or trust is happening in every heart here this morning. And the places where the control needs to be surrendered and the trust needs to happen. And so Father, I just pray that you would be, be Lord over it this morning. That each one of us would be able to leave here this morning, Lord, with less control and more trust. We love you. We thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. You can have a seat. Good to see you. Happy New Year 2021. Here we are. We thought it would never come, but we made it. We'll see what the upcoming year has. If you have your Bibles, please grab them. Go to 1 Samuel, (coughs) chapter 18. Uh, We're going to be a little bit all over the place this morning. As Brad mentioned, uh, as he was doing the announcements, this week we will begin the Bible reading plan, just one chapter a week this year. We would like you to read it uh, every day, at least five days a week, and then ask these little questions that are on the back side each day. I would really encourage you... The difference between Bible reading and Bible study is simply having a pen and paper in hand, okay? Sounds pretty simple, but it it, it makes a huge difference. Doesn't have to be a fancy journal with a nice little design on the outside or a nice leather cover, like just an old notebook that you can get for like 10 cents at Dollar General. Get one. And as you read, just begin to ask these questions. There's one question for each day. they're just some general observation, interpretation, application questions, and as you begin to ask those questions, you'll begin to learn to ask more questions of the text, and as you do that, um, it'll kind of unfold to you. But we'll begin reading Genesis 1 this week, and then I'll be preaching on that the following week as we go as we go through that. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 18, I we have this kind of in-between week here as we're finishing up the old reading plan and starting this one where I just... Uh, Wanted to share some things that have that have been on my heart. Um, obviously, the things that are on my heart uh, are not inspired in the same way that God's word is inspired. Um, however, I do feel like there's some things that I do see in the scriptures, and I just feel like it's something that uh, uh, we need to talk a little bit, bit about this morning. But let me just read out of First Samuel uh, chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 6 through 30, so 6 through the end of the chapter there, and just listen Um as I read, and then we'll get into it, this is the story of Saul and some of his conflict with David, King Saul in the Old Testament. It says, as they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs and joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. He said to himself, "'They have ascribed to David 10,000, "'and to me they have only ascribed thousands. "'What more can he have but the kingdom?' "'And Saul eyed David from that day on. "'The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, "'and he raved within his house "'while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. "'Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, "'for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. "'But David evaded him twice.' Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter daughter Mereb. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be a son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Mahilathite, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words to the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem like a little thing to you to become a king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. And Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servant told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law before the time had expired. David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually then the commanders of the philistines came out to battle and as often as they came out david had more success than all the servants of saul so that his name was highly esteemed please pray with me one more time god help now please fill us with your spirit open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from your word in jesus name amen so the thing that i want to talk to you about this morning that's kind of been on my heart and that I see in this passage. Um, And then we will also be in John's Gospel, the third chapter, towards the very end for just a little bit. What I want to talk to you about is is this idea of control and trust. Control and trust. Um, In every area of our life, it's always either one or the other. Like right now, if you think about the different compartments of your life I and mean, we don't it's not real good to compartmentalize our lives our lives need to be holistic as disciples as followers of Jesus Christ yet we have these different compartments we have different relationships we have work relationships we have family relationships we have friendship type of relationships we have church relationships um, people that we we interact with different situations and scenarios that we face and in each one of them you always face each one of them with an attitude of control where you feel like you need to be in control. And again, when I say control situations, here's what I really want to get at this morning. is When I talk about controlling situations, what I really mean is controlling people. Okay? And just the big idea, just giving it to you right from the get-go this morning that I want to talk about, is that our identity as Christians, as disciples, as sons and daughters of God, is not to be rooted in control. It is to be rooted in trust. As the brothers and sisters heading into this new year, I, I want for us more than ever in each one of our lives for whatever it looks like, and I'm trusting that God is going to reveal this to each and every one of you through his word and through his spirit, is that we, we have to trust him. Um, so much of our identity can end up getting rooted in control. I'll tell you where the genesis, of, the genesis of this kind of idea started for me a couple weeks ago. I was just rinsing off a couple dishes at the sink, and I was thinking about um, my relationship with my two older boys. A uh, little side note, whenever I talk about parenting, um, there are no perfect parents in this room, Amen? Thank you, including me, especially me. Uh, but I've got two teenagers; they're 13 and 15. And one of the things that Hannah and I are trying to navigate—probably not navigating well, not probably—we're not navigating it well all the time—is is learning how to surrender our kids to the Lord. So when they're little. And for those of you that are parents, you know this. There's there, there's a sense in which like control isn't all bad. Like control there's a, there's an aspect of control that comes in with responsibility or authority, right? So, what's that guy's name? Ripkin, little Ripkin. Okay, TJ and Shelley need to control Ripkin's life. If if, if control or, or giving up control of his life and their life cannot be just mean like lay him on the floor. And, you hungry? Get it yourself. Okay, like he's, he's tiny, he's little. They need to exercise authority and they need to exercise some control in his life. But as they get, as they get older then, so, so control's not all bad, that's my point. But as they get older, um, there's aspects where like you have to kind of let them go. And at times you gotta kind of let them fail. And I just, from the parental perspective, can I get an amen from anybody? That's difficult, Anybody? Yeah. It's tricky. Um, and so there's just one example where we all have control in our lives in varying degrees like that, in different relationships, yet in the end, we are not ultimately in control. Does it make sense? There's only one who is ultimately in control. Who is it? It's Jesus. It's God, the Trinity. He's the one that's ultimately in control. And uh, and what happens over time, you know, going back to that example of being a parent is, when they're young, a lot of your because you have to control their lives more, a lot of your identity can become what you control. So being a parent can become part of your identity, right? So who are you? I'm, I'm a I'm a mama. I'm a daddy. Right? Or maybe I'm a grandparent for some of you. And that's not, that's not bad, but that can't be your primary identity. Because if that's your primary identity, like we're experiencing with our boys, as they get older, we have to kind of surrender control. And if I've got my identity wrapped up in controlling their life, do you know what that does to me? It messes with my identity. It messes with, with who I am. It makes me feel insecure. And now I'm not so sure about things. Are you following me? Making sense? And again, I know many of you aren't parents, but just apply this to whatever compartment of your life that you need to apply it. Control isn't all bad, but yet we cannot root and ground our identity in who we control, but in who we trust. In who we trust. That's where identity comes from as Christians. We are meant to bear good fruit. And if you think about your life or your identity in terms of uh, vegetation or plant or a tree or something um, many times when a tree or a plant or vegetation of some sort won't grow the problem isn't with the seed it's with the soil right the problem isn't with the tree it's with it's with the ground that it's planted in is oftentimes the reason and many times um, in our lives our identity and who we are we don't bear good fruit because we're rooted and grounded in control rather than trust are you with me we're trying to root in ground we're trying we're trying to bear fruit by being in control folks that's not how it works and I, and if there's just one thing there's been a lot of takeaways from 2020 right <laughs> we're trying to anyway trying to get some takeaways from all this craziness but if there's one thing that i think we could agree on that i'm not going to have to argue long for is that one of the things that 2020 has taught us is that we're not in control right we're not in control So if you're trying to root your identity, though, in what you can control, I'm just telling you that's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. Your identity is not in who you control or in what you control, but but in who you trust. And so I just want to look at a couple places this morning where you see the sad downward spiral of a man who refused, absolutely refused to surrender control. His name was King Saul. And uh, there's just a couple of marks of a controlling spirit or a controlling attitude or a controlling life that I want to talk about this morning from Saul's life here in 1 Samuel. And, and again, as we do this, I, I need to just give one more um, kind of emphasis for this morning one more plea that you listen to this in a certain way I hope I hope that this is true every time you listen to the word whether it's the word being preached here or on the radio or whatever but I I really need you to hear this this morning okay Um, is this sermon this morning is not for someone else are you with me how many times have you heard somebody? Man, the boy's just bringing it, and he's preaching. You know, you're listening to Tony Evans or John Piper or whoever your guy is. You know, on the radio, like so and so really needs to hear this. Boy, my wife really needs to hear this. My husband, he really needs to hear this. My kids, my mom, my dad, my coworker, my boss, he really needs to hear this. That's not what this is this morning. Are you with me? Yes. This is for you. It's the only way this works. This is for you, and I promise you, folks, I promise you, this is for me. This is for me. And so, as I'm preaching it this morning, uh, I'm very much preaching it to myself. So, at least five, there's more than this, but I've tried to kind of boil them down. Five marks of, of a controlling spirit. And again, we don't want this, okay? This is not what we want to emulate but first of all (coughs) in saul's life excuse me and it's kind of ironic but there there will be this fear there will be this fear of losing what you've been freely given a fear of losing what you've been freely given here's kind of the backdrop a little bit going back a few chapters before first samuel 18 We'll get to that eventually, and that's where most of these marks are that I want to talk about, but, but as you read the story of Saul, like, here's the story of Saul. In, Saul in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, Saul is out in the countryside trying to find his father's three lost donkeys. That's what he was doing, okay? So, you think your job is boring? Saul was out there just trying to find. They weren't even his donkeys. They were his dad's. He's just wandering around out there trying to find his father's three lost donkeys. That's what his life was about. Okay? And out of nowhere, he doesn't, I mean, it wasn't out of nowhere. God knew what he was doing. But Saul bumps into Samuel, the prophet, the mediator at that time in Israel. And Samuel meets Saul as he's looking for the lost donkeys, and Samuel anoints him as king. Now imagine this. You're just out there, you know, looking for your dad's donkeys. Hey, you seen any donkeys? No, I haven't seen any donkeys. Okay, well, all right. Hey, you seen any? No, I haven't seen any donkeys. And all of a sudden, this other guy meets you. Hey, have you seen the donkeys? No, no, no. Samuel says, forget about the donkeys. You're going to be king. Saul says, uh, (laughs) That's the way it happens. And Samuel anoints him, and then in chapter 10, verse 8, as they turn to go, um, Samuel gives him some instructions to meet him in seven days, and he's going to offer some sacrifices and kind of unite, unite the country. And in Samuel chapter 10, verse 8, um, it says that uh, as, the, as he turned to go, that God gave him a new heart, gave him a new heart. Um... And so Saul has been anointed king, he's been given a new heart, the Spirit of God rushes upon him, and he prophesies supernaturally, all this was totally of grace. It had been freely given. He did nothing to earn it. It was totally from the sovereign hand of God, out of nowhere, okay? But Saul's whole life is going to be marked by trying to control this kingship and this authority and this privilege that he had been freely given. And so Saul then, as we kind of progress on here very quickly in chapter 13, um, again he was to meet Samuel uh, seven days later. And Samuel was going to offer some burnt sacrifices. But in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 13, um, they're waiting. And it's been seven days. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8, he says, But he waited seven days in the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So now, people were following Saul over the last week since he'd been anointed. Okay, Samuel had made this known. And they're beginning to follow him, but now they're beginning to scatter And so Saul is afraid that he's going to lose what he'd been freely given, okay, because Samuel told him to wait seven days until he came. And so verse 9 says, so Saul said, because the people were beginning to scatter, Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And so he offered the burnt offering. This is a big, 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 big no-no. If you're not a priest, if you're not called to be a mediator, you do not offer sacrifices to God and be that mediator. Saul tried to be something that he wasn't in order to maintain control of something that he'd been freely given. Folks, this will preach right here. Your salvation, let's start there, that you've been freely given. All of grace, all of the sovereign hand of God. You have been given this grace. You have been given this salvation to rejoice in it, to enjoy it. And as you enjoy it, as you satisfy yourself in it, you will make much of Jesus. And you are called to serve him and to tell other people about him. But so many times, even in regards to our salvation, there's nothing you could do to earn it, but you sure think there's something you need to do to keep it. And so we become busy trying to just not mess up. And busy trying to just, you know, obey all the rules. And don't drink, smoke, or chew. Or run with girls that do. And, you know, whatever that looks like in your life. But if if it's been freely given to you and you couldn't do anything to earn it, then you can't do anything to keep it. But the same way with relationships or anything that you've been given. My boys, so going back to the parenting thing, my boys are a Gracious gift of God to me and Hannah. Love them. My job is to steward them well, but they are a gift from God to me, and I ultimately don't own them or can control them. Right? They belong to God. I'm just a steward it. But Paul, but Saul here. Rather, he, he tries to be something that he's not, namely a priest or mediator, in order to keep the people from scattering. And Samuel shows up and he rebukes him and he says, look, man, this is not, this is not a good deal. Um, uh, but Saul doesn't really show any signs of repentance and continues to go on. Then in 1 Samuel chapter 15, um, you have another incident where uh, Saul is still king, even though he'd messed up back in thirteen. And he's commanded by God to destroy these people, the Amalekites, who are extremely wicked throughout history. And even when God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt, the Amalekites were very wicked people. And they've always caused God's people a lot of trouble. And their sin had become complete. And so the righteous, almighty God said, it's now time for judgment. And so God commands Saul to go in and to kill the Amalekites, every one of them, Men, women, children, young and old, even the king, even the sheep, all their livestock, all the oxen, etc. And, uh, and so this is the command that Saul is given. But in chapter 15, Saul goes in and he defeats them. There's victory, but it's a partial obedience. He doesn't fully obey what God, God commands. And um, he doesn't kill all the sheep. They keep some of the plunder and again, he did this to please the people because many times you'd go in and you win a victory and you would you know, take the plunder you would disperse it amongst the army, but that's not what God had commanded him to do. And it's actually kind of a funny scene because you know, Saul does this partial obedience. He, he defeats him and he captures the king, keeps him alive and keeps the plunder alive even though he was supposed to destroy it all. And then Samuel comes walking up again and Saul goes, Oh, blessed be the Lord! I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And right then, you hear this, Bah, bah. he'd been commanded to destroy all the sheep, all the plunder, all the livestock. And so Samuel, you know, as Saul said, oh, I've fulfilled the commandment. Samuel goes, oh yeah, what's this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? What's this sheep that I hear? And so Saul had not done all that he'd been commanded to do. Now, when those Two incidences in chapter 13, verse 15, here's what you have. In chapter 13, you have Saul Saul doing something that he was not supposed to do. And in chapter 15, you have him not doing something that he was supposed to do. And these are the two different ways that we sin in our lives. And the reason that we sin, almost always, is because we're trying to maintain control of something that we were not meant to control. Those are the sins of omission and the sins of commission. The sins of commission is us doing what we should not do. That was Saul offering the sacrifice. The sin of omission is that we do not do the right thing that we're supposed to do, right? And whenever we do this, many times, it's because we're trying to exercise control. And here's what it comes down to, guys. I know I'm taking a long time on this first point, but I want us to get it. Um, is that it comes down to we have a fear of losing something that we've been freely given. To just say that another way, I'd say it like this. You don't understand grace. You don't understand grace. Is that whatever God's given you in your life, he's, whether it's salvation or whatever, you know, relationships, kids, family, um, positions of authority, money, finances, whatever it is, He's given it to you so that you, in turn, can just be a blessing to those around you and serve those that he's put around you uh, to care for. But if you don't understand grace, you're going to end up spending all of your time using the authority that you've been given not to serve others, but rather you're going to use your authority just to not lose your authority. And that becomes a really sad thing, as we'll continue to see in Saul's life so that's kind of the backdrop and again just wanted to make that one point there that if there's fear in your life today fear of losing what you've been freely given think about the thing that you're most afraid of losing maybe it's a job maybe it's money but probably some of that revolves around people too did you do anything to earn it If it's all been given to you, and I would argue that, again, you know, I worked hard for my money, I yeah, I get it, but God's the one that gave you the mind, he's the one that gave you the work ethic, he's the one that gave you the able body that's able to earn it, so it's all ultimately from him. What are you afraid of losing? If you're afraid of losing it, remember that you've been freely, freely given it. But go over to chapter 18, and let me just throw out, I won't take as much time on each one of these points, but let me just throw out some quick hitters of some other marks of control. And again, please just be examining your own life. Very straightforward. Number one, uh, first mark of control, jealousy. Jealousy. Uh, if you look here in chapter 18, where I began reading in verse 6, um, in verses in chapter 16 and 17, you have the story of David being anointed as king, and then you have the story of David and Goliath. Again, God is he's taking the kingship from Saul because of those two disobediences, um, because of his uh, desire to control that I talked about a little bit ago. And so David comes on the scene, and again, as we read in verse 6. Uh, women are singing songs about david they're singing about saul too but not in a good way like if you're going to be in a song you don't want to be in the song that saul is in you know you're kind of like the second place loser guy um but saul has slain his thousands david his tens of thousands and again there in verses six through eight you see that this jealousy comes into play that when there's someone or something that we can't control jealousy begins to grow in our heart here's the thing with jealousy okay Most of the time, probably when I say jealousy, the definition that most of us would be working from, and this is not wrong, it's just not totally complete, is that when we think of jealousy, we're like, we want what somebody else has. Saul wanted the praise that David was getting, okay? And that's jealousy. But it isn't just wanting what someone else has, it's also being unable to celebrate with someone else's victory. And see, that's where it gets a little bit tougher. Because we're like, I don't don't want anything. I don't want anything that anybody else says, yeah, but are you able to rejoice in their victory? Are you able to rejoice in their success? When someone else says something go well for them, do you think, why didn't I get that? Why does God do that in their life, but not in my life? It's a jealous spirit. And underneath that jealousy is control. Brothers or sisters, Repent of it. Get rid of it. Because it's only going to spiral you downward, as we'll see. After jealousy, again, jealousy sits in the heart for a little bit. Here's always where it's going to lead. Okay? And there's three things here, but it's it's just a combination. I didn't know how to say this. But anger, rage, and demonic influence. Anger, rage, and demonic influence. You're like, that's a big jump. No, not really. You let jealousy and control sit in your heart, you let that black mold sit in the dark places of your heart, I promise you it's going to grow, and it's going to grow into something really, really nasty. Huh? Have you ever had any mold problems in your basement? Wet, damp, you just, oh, it's a booger to fix, is it not? try to get it from the inside, try to get some waterproofing paint. I'm talking from personal experience here. On I mean, the you know, you're, you're painting the inside. You don't, but get, a lot of time, maybe sometimes, it's just a little bit, maybe that'll do it. Most of the time, you know what needs to happen? You gotta get somebody with a backhoe or a mini excavator, and you gotta dig out the outside, and you gotta go down, you gotta put tar and, you know, insulation and blueboard and waterproof that thing. And it Takes a lot to get it all out. And if you let jealousy, control, sit in your heart, it's eventually going to manifest itself in anger, rage, and demonic influence. And folks, some of us just don't want to do the digging that we need to do to get it all out. But you need to because it'll kill you. Straight up, it'll kill you. And here's what we see. Verse 9 it says that, you know, after this... Jealousy that Saul has, it, it's, it's uh, love verse 9, Saul eyed David from that day. Just always had his eye on him. Okay, the next day, here, here's where I'm getting the demonic part. A harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. Now, I don't have time to explain how all that works. A harmful, harmful spirit from God, very interesting phrase here that he uses. Um, but God can use the demonic realm, even the de- demons are subject to him all the time, God's in total control, but God can use the demonic to bring judgments into our life. Not a very popular idea, but very, very true. Very, very biblical. So where this disobedience is happening in Saul's life, Again, let me say this about the demonic. The demonic is a little bit like um, flies and gnats around your trash. Okay? If you want to get, like if you just try to go around and just try to kill all those gnats. Oh, got to get these gnats, got to get them, get them. Trying to kill these little things. Here's the deal, just take out the trash. Yeah? Are you with me? So many Christians, I got I to gotta, I gotta get these demons, got to get these. take out the trash. Repent of the control and jealousy sitting in your heart. And you'll see the gnats disappear, yeah? Okay. So you see this harmful spirit from the Lord rush upon him. And then, of course, anger and rage. And these are the things, folks, where there's anger and rage. I I just think about the last time you were sinfully angry and maybe full of rage. Okay? Got it in your mind? Do you remember it? Okay. And I just want to ask you this question as as you're holding that in your mind. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? I think you can make a case for both ways, but here's the thing. Yeah, I, I would, absolutely, it came from your heart. Jesus said all sin came from your heart. But if you're in a place where Saul, where you're trying to hurl a spear at somebody and pin him to the wall. And again, what's really interesting here is it says that Saul like, was having this conversation in his mind. Verse 11, Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. He's having this internal conversation of dark demonic thoughts but again those gnats are flying around because he's not taken out the trash of jealousy and evil control anger rage demonic influence if you see those things in your life um, repent <laughs> confess it turn to jesus it's a sign of a controlling spirit Um, Number four, the fourth mark here, is manipulation, but I got a couple sub points for these, okay? There's all sorts of manipulation, and these aren't real technical categories. I want to give you three different types of manipulation that you see in Saul's life. Three different types of manipulation, very quickly. And again, these aren't technical categories, I just made these up, but... Number one, spiritual manipulation. Verse 17 says, Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Now he says, Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. So do you understand what he's saying here? Well, let let, let me finish the verse. He says, For Saul thought, Again, he's got this internal narrative going, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So he's not truly wanting to bless David and give him his daughter as a wife and make him his son-in-law. He's wanting him to be known as the son-in-law of the king, and so the Philistines will especially hate him, and they'll go after him, and he'll die. Okay? But notice the the language that he uses. Only be valiant for me, and fight the Lord's battles. We could sit on this a long time, folks, and it fills me with fear and trembling as a pastor. For my own life. But it should for each one of you as well. Is when you begin to talk about manipulation... I, I almost want to say at times there's no place that manipulation happens more than within the church, an unhealthy church. I don't want this for us. I don't want it in my life. I don't want it in your life. I don't want it in the life of our church. But you see what, why I say spiritual manipulation? Saul's using spiritual language. Fight the Lord's battles, brother. He's, he's given good lip service to him. But that's not his motive. His motive is he wants him dead. Secondly, relational manipulation. Verse 21. So Saul has another daughter than Michael that loves him. And Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall become my son-in-law. Relational manipulation. He's willing to use his daughter to try to control somebody that he can't control. Happens all the time, not just in the church but all over. Is that you're now really spiraling downward when you're not just manipulating the person that you're trying to control to their face with words and with flattering talk but with evil motives, but now you're getting other people involved and you're using other people as pawns to try to control them. Yeah? Can I get an amen that this is real? It's real. And I bet that if we went around and each told our stories, we could each tell our stories of where we've seen this. And just like any other sin folks, again, the reason this sermon is not for someone else, but it's for us, is all of us in here this morning have this common ground in regards to this topic of control. And that is, we are both perpetrator and victim. Okay, there's not a person in here who's not been hurt by the manipulation of others, but there's not a person in here who has not done this to other people. It's just the truth, myself included. We need to repent of it. Third type of manipulation, very quickly, is just positional manipulation. Verses 22 through 25, Saul, notice here, verse 22, and Saul commanded his servants, he's the king. When you're the king, people just do what, they t- do what you tell them to do. And again, it overlaps with relational manipulation, but he uses his position of power to tell people to do what he wants them to do in order to, to, to try to control someone else. So you see how the circle is growing now. From he's trying to manipulate David, kill him, speak flattering words to him directly. Now he's using his daughter. Now he's using all of his servants. Everybody at his disposal. He's using them to try to control this one person. And if you don't repent of a controlling spirit, folks, you can get here. You can get here. You can get to the place where everybody in your life becomes a little pawn to you that you're trying to move on the chessboard to try to manipulate the outcome that you want, whatever that might be. And I guarantee you, if you're there, if you get there, here's what your life will not have. You ready? Joy. There's no such thing as a happy manipulator. Manipulators act happy, they act joyful, but be sure of this, there is no joy in their life. Because we were not made to control, we were made to trust. Okay, so there's three types of manipulation, spiritual, relational, positional, and then lastly, and this is just kind of a catch-all, the last mark of a controlling spirit, is just a complete enslavement to fear. Again, the, the kind of the first mark that I said was was just this fear of losing what we've been freely given. But also here, if you look at these, look at verse 12, 15, and 29. Verse 12, 15, and 29 of chapter 18. Verse 12, so Saul was afraid of David. Okay? Verse 15. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in, I love this little phrase, fearful awe of him. I think what he's talking about there, that fearful, he was obsessed with him. He was afraid with him, afraid of him. And then if you look over um, at verse 29 here, and this is where it just kind of, again, this kind of big big catch-all, verse 28 says, when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David so Saul was David's enemy continually. The downward spiral ends with this man that was never willing to surrender control and instead just trust what God was doing in his life, it ends with him living the rest of his life in total fear the rest of his days. It gets to the place where this man of God, who God at one time had given a new heart, the Spirit of God rushed upon him and prophesied, as you read later on in these chapters, we just don't have time this morning to go there, he gets into witchcraft. He calls upon a witch and summons up the dead spirit of Samuel, who had died by this point. The Lord's anointed, at one time, ends up dealing in witchcraft. Why? Because he was not willing to surrender control. Folks, control, surrendering control really, really matters to you. Amen? It does. And if you don't get rid of it, it's, it's only, it's only going to grow. And I just don't want it forced. I don't want it in my life. And again, guys, I said I'm preaching this, you know, this is for you, but man, it's for me. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want to be in control. I want to trust. I want to trust God. Let Him be in control. That's who we're created to be. Now, flip over very quickly, and we'll kind of wrap up here, to the Gospel of John. And... Again, you could get this from different places. I thought about getting it from David's life, but just the amount of ground we would have had to cover would have made it even longer than this already is. But John chapter 3, just a few verses from John the Baptist. A little background on John the Baptist um, so that you understand this. Uh, He had been given something freely by God too. He was prophesied about in the Old Testament that he was going to be the forerunner of Jesus. He was going to prepare the way for the Lord to come. Um, His ministry, his public ministry, only lasted maybe six months to a year. But in that six months to a year, I mean, it was like total revival. All of Israel was coming out to him, and he was baptizing them in the Jordan. So much so, I mean, if you can imagine this, like they came to him, and they thought that he was the Messiah, they thought he was the Messiah. I mean, imagine. Somebody come, are, you, are you the Messiah? But unlike Saul, John knew that he wasn't. He knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't. He didn't try to be something that he wasn't because he knew who he was. Okay, If you're trying to be something that you're not, or be somebody that you're not, it's because you don't know who you are. And who you are, if you've trusted Christ, is God's Son, god's daughter for each one of you anyway look here in john chapter 3 i'll start in verse 26 it says and they came to john this is john's disciples and they said rabbi he who was with you across the jordan to whom you bore witness look he's baptizing and all are going to him so again, see this, the parallels here between Saul and, and, and John. Saul was given a kingship. He didn't do anything to, uh, to earn it. It had been freely given to him, but he uses all of his life to l- not lose control of that, which he'd been freely given. John wasn't given a kingship, but he was given a very, very important ministry. People even thought he was the Messiah. All of Israel's coming out to him to be baptized, and now his disciples are saying, hey, Rabbi, we're, we're, we're losing our following. All these people are going after Jesus now. And listen to John's response and how different it is than what we saw in Saul's life. John answered them, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Not one thing. John's saying, I didn't do anything to deserve this. I didn't do anything to earn this. It was given to me from God. And if he wants to take it away now, he can. He can. And then jump down to verse 30. It says, He must increase, I must decrease. Now, just a few things here. This is what it looks like to trust. Look at the word in verse 27 the words receive and given. Receive and given. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Is your life marked by taking or by receiving? Is your life and your identity marked by what you can control, what you have to take, or what you've been freely given and you just receive it? And even that, even if you know and acknowledge that what you've been given, again, and I'm not just talking just about salvation here, but any sort of relationship, any sort of authority, any sort of influence, any sort of impact, does it belong to you? And is it yours to control and to take and to keep? Or does it belong to God? And are you okay With saying, like Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But one thing remains the same. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then in verse 30, he says, he must increase, I must decrease. Everybody say must. Must. Not like the must I was talking about earlier in the basement. Not that must. But must, have to, have to. Got to. These two things go together. How many of you want Jesus to increase in your life and in the life of those you love in 2021? Yeah? I believe you. We do. We want that. We want that. But guys, if he must increase, then we must decrease. Amen? Faith without works is dead. And so many of us this morning, like even right now, we might raise our hand in faith. Again, that's good, I believe that, but that's not what's going to allow it to happen. What's going to allow it to happen is that if you want to see an increase in your life, an increase of Jesus, (laughs) an increase in the lives of those you love, if he's going to increase, then you've got to decrease. And I just ask you this morning, And again, this is all I have to say. Worship team, you can come up and we'll wrap up. But what does that look like? Again, this sermon isn't for somebody else, it's for you. What does that look like for you as we close today? Some of those marks or characteristics of a controlling spirit or controlling life that I talked about in Saul's life, just right now in your own heart for you, did any of those seem a little familiar? Are any of those kind of ringing a bell? If they did, that's okay. Acknowledge it. It's the first step in repentance and living a new life in Christ is acknowledging that some things aren't right. But here's the deal. You know, James says that God's, the book of James says that God's word is, is like a mirror. And we look into it and we see reflections of, of ourselves. It's kind of like I, one of my great pet peeves. And one of the things I'm most self-conscious about is after I eat, having things stuck in my teeth. I just drives me nuts. So if I just eat a meal with you, I might talk to you like this because I just don't want you to see that there might be something in my teeth. Anyway, but here's the deal is so many times after I eat a meal, we're out at a restaurant with a group of friends or whatever. I'll, I'll excuse myself and go to the bathroom and I'll check my teeth. And if I see something in my, I know this is kind of gross, but work with me. But if I see something, if I see something in my teeth that's not, that shouldn't be there, you know, some broccoli. Well, I don't eat broccoli, but let's pretend I did. If I ate broccoli and there was some broccoli in my teeth, I would, you know, I'd just go, and I'd take it out. There's something in my teeth. I can do that. I can remove that. But here's the deal this morning, folks, is that if there's something that we talked about here this morning, and it's stuck in your heart, you can't touch that. You need someone else to touch it. And this is why it's such good news that God loves us so much and he doesn't give up on us. Amen? Is so The good news this morning is that if you'll just trust him, if you'll surrender control of every situation or of every person that you're trying to control, say, God, I got this in my heart. God, I'm trained to I'm trying to hang on to something that I've been freely given. God, I'm, I'm, I've got jealousy. God, I've got some anger. I've got some rage. Lord, I'm experiencing a lot of darkness and depression, and it might be demonic, and I don't know where it's coming from. And Father, I've been, I've been manipulating. That stuff could very well be in your heart this morning. Even as a believer, it's okay. But when you see it there, you can't just pluck it out yourself. You've got to turn to the Lord. But God is so gracious and he's so patient and he's so good and he's so faithful that if you will just acknowledge that to him this morning, brothers and sisters, I'm believing that in 2021 for each one of your lives, if you've lived 2020 trying to hang on to control and man, I'll tell you what, 2020 was prime to try to make us hang on to control, right? Everybody's grasping for, you know, whatever we can do. But if that's how you've lived 2020, you don't have to live 2021 that way. Because right now, this morning, as we close and as we sing, you can just turn your heart up to the Lord and acknowledge to him that whatever games you've been playing, um, you're not going to play them anymore. That he's the only one that is ultimately in control and he's the only one ultimately deserves to be in control. Amen? You don't deserve to be in control. I don't deserve to be in control. Only Jesus is worthy. You just bow your heads with me. We pray, Father, thanks for today. God, I love you. I thank you for your word. God, I said this morning, this message wasn't for anybody else. It was just for, each one of us it was for me. And so God, I just I just turn to you as much as I can right now and I just just give my heart again. And I know that there will be times probably (laughs) certainly in the next year where again, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to try to take control. God, please please help me instead to trust you please help me we thank you for being such a good savior we thank you for your patience we thank you for your kindness we thank you for your intimate knowledge of our lives and our hearts our thoughts pray you just please give us the ability this new year to trust you in a way that we've never trusted you before. You're good all the time. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys stand with me. We'll sing.